Welcome to Rebel Health Radio, bringing the best in alternative and integrative medicine to your ears. Hi everyone, Patricia Warby, Alchemy Therapies, uh, myemotionalaudit.com and patriciawarby.com. And here today I'm going to review a book that I've just finished called Chaos by James Gleick. And um, I'm going to take a, take a good look at that cover. Actually, that's a beautiful cover. And it's actually showing a, a fractal pattern uh, called a Mandelbrot set. But it's very interesting because this book is actually quite old. Um, I was quite surprised. It's 1998, this, this particular um, edition. But it was first published in 1988. So we're looking at more... 30 odd years, 30 something years, 35 years. Uh, although I think the newer edition had some updates, but but that that cover, that typeface, you would never guess it was a book that old. It's very unusual in its design. That's the first thing I noticed. I would have said that was a book released in the last two or three years from its typeface alone. Well, no, um, it's a very important book. And I first came across this one mentioned by Jordan Peterson, who I follow, um, very interesting um, psychotherapist. He's a commentator. He's, he does a lot of work on his podcast and producing um, just new ideas. So he's such a wonderful intellect. Um, and he mentioned that this was a really important book. And because I follow him and I trust his judgment, I thought I'm going to look into that. Um, it's called, the subtitle is The Amazing Science of the Unpredictable. And I thought, mm, yeah, because I'm actually writing a book myself at the moment on patterns in nature and patterns in the human um, situation, whether it's from the very large or to the very small, you know, cosmology that we're embedded in, right down to what we're composed of, atoms and sub subatomic particles. And I thought, well, we know that, um, that systems like this form patterns and maybe chaos is, is not what we think. It's not random. And indeed, this appears to be so. And it's a wonderful book in that it describes in very personal, a very personal way, the history of the development of chaos and complexity theory, because chaos is a sort of sub, sub branch or study of, of complexity theory, which is a branch of mathematics. Now, you might wonder, what, what am I doing studying mathematics? Because that's not my field. I'm in health, you know. Um, but I am very interested in patterns in nature and I'm very interested in how things uh, occur, how consciousness is formed, these kinds of questions. And I do believe that mathematics is the language of the universe and that's why I'm writing a book on it. Anyway, so um, the first thing that I loved about this book was that he sort of starts with the stories of the evolution of the scientific understanding through the stories of the individuals involved. So he's interviewed over 200 people for this book. And you can tell he's got their real voices. He's got anecdotes, you know, the rivalries between different groups, all of which I know firsthand. I used to work in science. I remember that. Uh, you know, who's going to be first to put a paper out, what journals you publish in makes all the difference, you know, how you're viewed by your colleagues and your competitors is oh, such an important part of academia. Um, but the ideas themselves, he develops 
as the sort of subtext of the story around the people that discovered each stage as it was um, elucidated. So I suppose the first thing was that they studied in, I think it was the 1950s, they were looking at weather patterns because they wanted to be able to forecast better. And the question was, were they predictable? Could you predict weather patterns based on initial data? And everybody assumed that if you got the right initial data, you would get a predictable pattern at the end of it. But they found, in fact, the opposite was true. Uh, and you can really only predict accurately two or three days or maybe maybe up to a week now. I've seen on some apps they do a week quite quite accurately. But beyond that, it's it's guesswork because you've got, you've got an initial set of conditions, but you're not in an isolated universe and you're subject to different information flows at different scales. That's the problem. So turbulence could be an effect, you know, uh, unusual temperatures could be an effect, um, storms developing and so on, all can affect the outcome given a set of initial conditions. And we call this um, sensitive dependence on initial conditions. And I thought, that is such an analogy with human beings because, you know, our initial uh, conditions, how we're raised, determines to a large extent how our lives pan out. Um, this was the basis of the Adverse Childhood Experience Study, which showed it was the biggest factor determining how, how much money you'd earn, whether you'd be successful in relationships, you know, your um educational level of attainment uh, and of course your health your health is very determined by initial conditions because how you're raised how you set the clock ticking as it were determines how physiologically your nervous system adjusts to its environment so it's a really good analogy um and and so it seemed to me that that I hoped he was going to get into that, and he does towards the end of the book. But he starts out with weather, because weather was the initial question. And um, they call it the butterfly effect, that a tiny change in one part of the globe can cause a massive effect miles and miles away. And it's like the, the, the beating of a butterfly's wings can create this kind of flow or turbulence further on in another um, atmospheric system. So... The, the study of these effects is very much an interdisciplinary affair, uh, and it's it's been largely successful because people have started to move across disciplines. So before the, this complexity theory came along, mathematicians didn't really talk to physicists. They had different language, different journals, different fields of endeavour, and very rarely communicated, which is a shame because maths and physics have a lot to say to each other. Um, and what's what's really interesting to me is that most of the jumps or leaps in knowledge tend to occur across disciplines. I used to work in multidisciplinary research at a university, and that was why I was attracted to it, is because you get dialogue between disciplines, which is what creates the evolutionary leap, if you like, needed to jump ahead of what's accepted as the norm within your field. You see, unfortunately, most scientific research studies things that people already know and just finds out more and more detail about that thing that is already agreed to happen. There's very few examples of scientific research that changes the entire paradigm. And in fact, the Adverse Childhood Experience study that I mentioned a minute ago was one of those studies because no one had ever studied before what happened 
to ask the question what had happened to you in childhood might determine your your adult life experience so these these big leaps in knowledge are really vital for uh, moving beyond the accepted theory whatever that is and so we see that um, although people expected there to be very sensible um, predictable outcomes from setting something in motion a bit like a clockwork toy or a pendulum that isn't how the world works and in fact you can start something off but it will be very quickly quite a random development and non-periodic so it'll develop its own rhythm its own patterns depending on these interactions, which are called by the wonderful name strange attractors, which is just wonderful. And you can you can map these out. And a lot of the book includes diagrams of scientific experiments that mapped out these patterns and these rhythms and what the strange attractor looks like is sort of a bit like a, a figure of eight. It's a sort of loop. Don't ask me what it is. Uh, it's a mathematical concept. I'm not very good on the deep maths. I had to skip past a lot of that. Uh, but what I did get was um, that, that chaotic dynamics actually is, is not random chaos. It's actually order within disorder. It, it starts off looking disorderly, but as time goes on and you start to determine patterns, you see that there is, there is an order within it, even though it's sort of not immediately obvious. And so we're, we're beginning to consider that, the second law of thermodynamics, which was all about entropy, that, that given a steady state uh, system uh, that's isolated, uh, you will always lose energy. And as you lose energy, the system will become more chaotic and more random. That's that's the second law. And, and the loss of kind of structure and energy is called entropy. And, and that was assumed to be true for natural systems as well as a sort of black box environment. Turns out not to be the case, in fact, um, because nothing is isolated in nature. Nothing. Everything is connected, whether it's atoms, uh, whether it's um, weather, whether it's uh, the human nervous system. We are embedded in a system or of energy and energy is being constantly exchanged. And so entropy, far from being the natural state, it's actually not what happens. Um, nature forms patterns of the orderly and the disorderly in a sort of wonderful dance. And, and one term used to describe this is called a fractal. And a fractal is a wonderful mathematical self-similar pattern. We see them in ferns, in uh, mountain ranges, in coastlines, clouds, um, oh, fractals are everywhere, cracks in paving, um, they are self-similar patterns at all scales. So if you think of a fern frond, you know, you've got the bigger, the, the frond itself. And then if you look at a, a leaf in the frond, that is also subdivided. And then there are leaflets within the leaf and then they're subdivided. And, and they're all in a similar array, a similar shape. And you can actually... Uh, superimpose one upon the other and in, in a mathematical fractal you can do that ad infinitum in in nature it doesn't it does stop you know the fractal iterations as they're called do stop so um a frond does does finish repeating after a while because nature doesn't need 
inf infinite variation. It uses fractals because they are a, a low energy way of dividing and growing. And uh, just this self-similar repeat pattern is a very easy one for nature to follow. Um, and so fractals are actually really beautiful. They're very, there's something we can understand because we can see them. But there are there is another level to fractals, which I've just been discovering, which James talks about in here in great detail. And that's uh, using a concept um, <laughs> that kind of irrational. No, no, they're not irrational. They're, they're more like complex imaginary numbers on a 3D plane. Now, don't don't um, worry. I'm not going to explain that any more than I have. It's 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 a complicated thing. There was a, a French-Polish mathematician called Benoit Mandelbrot, and he, he came in at the time when computing was just beginning to take off, and he plugged in some of these complex numbers and their variables. And instead of putting in an, an equation, as we're all familiar with an equation, y equals 2x, say, would give us a, a straight line with a, with a gradient of 2 if we plotted x and y, they decided to use uh, what's called a function where you take a number and you plug it into the equation and then the result you take out and plug back into the equation again. And so it, it iterates, it, it becomes a function that runs over and over and over again. And he did this with complex numbers and they came out with these patterns. Um, there are some in here. Uh, I include some in my book as well because they're just so beautiful. Um, let's have a look. Yeah. So these amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, this one actually is the original that you start with. That's called the cardioid. cardioid. And then if you focus down and you, you become more and more magnified, you get into these other structures and um, beautiful valleys and convolutions, which you can't believe, but they're, they're constructed purely mathematically. And then you color code them according to how... Um, how random they are, let's say. Um, and anyway, so Mandelbrot discovered these, if you like. He wasn't the first, but he was the first to really be able to map them out, color them, because he was he was able to access computing power. And they're now called the Mandelbrot set. So it's something that belongs within that cardioid, then it's in the Mandelbrot set. If it, if it doesn't, it's outside it. And if it's sort of just on the edge, that's where you get the interesting details. So... Um, these are amazing things that although they're not exhibited straightforwardly in nature, like like a, a spiral seashell sea exhibits, you know, certain mathematical formulae, the um, the underlying patterning of it, order from disorder, is giving us clues to a, a, a three and four D universe that we live in now. This is difficult to explain, but what. The, the 3D universe that we live in is a reflection of a 4 or 5D reality. And it's impossible for us to perceive that because our senses only work in 3D, three dimensions. The Mandelbrot set, it seems, is a sort of mapping, three, a 2D mapping of that kind of order of reality. And so when we look at them, when we study them, there's something in us that resonates with that information and, and kind of understands it, even though we don't cognitively understand it. So I, I find the study of uh, fractals really, really interesting. And, and as I say, they do underlie a lot of natural structures and they give us clues to how the universe works. 
And a good example of a fractal um, is a snowflake, you know, a hexagonal fractal, and it's formed by budding along an equilateral triangle along the middle point of each of those forms a hexagon. And then that hexagon sort of twirls in the atmosphere and it picks up ice as it as it forms and sort of grows at the tips and then attracts more ice. And each snowflake is actually completely unique, which just shows you how variable nature manages to make this. Um, and snowflakes are an incredible example of a fractal structure. So, so anyway, James's book kind of introduced me to some of the deep concepts here and, and finishes up on a real high. I mean, the last chapter is is really about how kind of nature uses this and how it's reflected in our in our workings, even our brain, you know, because consciousness, we can't explain it. We don't know how it works. Nobody's really been able to find a part of the brain that has consciousness in it. Um, it seems more like that the brain is downloading some some of the signal and perhaps that too is decoding fractally the information it's receiving at multiple scales. So um, the idea, the concept that, that the brain uses fractal iterations, I thought that was that was magic. That really made me think what happens in in states where the brain doesn't work so well or in disease states or in autism, for instance, where the decoding maybe gets uh, messed up in some way that, that the brain can't discern between different frequencies. And so, you know, we know in autism that a lot of people who, who have that particular neurodivergence have um, abilities, amazing abilities to focus in on detail, but their discernment to blank out the things that are not so important is not very well developed. And that causes them a great deal of sensory distress because they're just overwhelmed with sensory information. So I was wondering, maybe the fractalization of the conscious imprint is breaking down in that in that instance. And I'm, I'm going to look up and see if there's any research on that. Just something that occurred to me while I was reading it. All right. So many, many things in nature are fractal, self-similar and growing um, disease uh spread for instance is a very big area of, of uh, discussion at the moment of course after covid um population growth has this sort of fractal um you know one year will be great huge population rise next year where it will sort of go down and there'll be this sort of rhythm to it um and someone here said uh, evolution is chaos with feedback i can't remember who quoted that but i wrote it down evolution is chaos with feedback you know um Chaos, if you think of it as order within disorder, you know, this kind of disequilibrium random state that yet manages to produce patterns has within it a feedback system. And I go into that in a lot of detail in my book because it's a really important function of um, using certain growth patterns that have spare capacity set within them in the numbers. And the, the, the spares, if you like, act as this iterative feedback loop so it learns about itself in other words evolution our development uh the the way the universe is unfolding is a self-learning system how about that um 
And so if I were to summarise really what chaos sort of science is, it's a non-linear, random self-learning um, growth. And it exists throughout the universe from the very small to the very large. And I guess what it tells us is that far, far from being a purposeless expansion, as we've been told, you know, the universe just expands and from the Big Bang until the point at which it doesn't anymore, um, we see that life and consciousness are full of this self-learning ability. And we, it turns out, as humans, have access to that information because we're right slap bang in the middle of the scale of the very small and the very, very large when you look at it in a logarithmic way. So I I love this book. I found it really difficult in places. Um, obviously, when they're getting into the deep mathematics in the middle, I really struggled. But the, the first few chapters, the chapter on Mandelbrot and how he developed his patterns and the Julia sets as another mathematical set, very similar, uh, were very interesting to me. And, and the, I think the ending is an absolute tour de force. And I would, I would highly recommend this book for anybody who's interested in, yeah, you have to be a little bit interested in maths, you do. Uh, it's not for the, the non-mathematically inclined, but also, you know, it's a very compelling story of science and how science evolves. And considering it's nearly, you know, 30 years old, it's an absolutely amazing um, book and still very, very relevant, I think, to what, what we're learning today. So that's my review. Thank you very much for listening. If you're at all interested in some of this work, please subscribe and find me on the links below. Take care, everyone. Bye bye for now. Hey, hope you enjoyed listening to Rebel Health Radio. Do subscribe and look forward to catching you soon.